Welcome to a special episode of the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri. Recently, the NCTM Research Committee published their research commentary in JRME, and they called on the field of mathematics education to identify our grand challenges. Um, so I will link to that research commentary. You can take a look at it if you haven't already. They don't lay out grand challenges for the field, but they talk about how these grand challenges have spurred work in other fields, and they lay out a proposed uh, process for coming up with these grand challenges in the near future. So I thought I might be able to contribute to the conversation about grand challenges by going through some past interviews with senior scholars, um, because I have asked several of them questions such as uh, what research is needed in the field or where does our field need to go in the future, and some of them I even asked about grand challenges. So what I've done is put together my first clip show. You're going to be hearing snippets of responses from various guests over the last couple years. You're going to hear from Ed Silver, Jeremy Kilpatrick, Megan Frankie, Judy Moskovich, Barbara Rees, and James Tarr. What follows are the excerpts. If you're interested in the full episodes, then please find those. They're still available in the back catalog. And I hope that these thoughts uh, that I've pulled together can help contribute to the conversation, and I look forward to further conversations in the field. I think one of the biggest challenges we have, it's not unique to math education, but it's um, in the United States, I think we have an incredibly limited conception of teaching. And um, one of the things that's been really interesting to look at international data on teaching is to see how many more contact hours um, teachers in the United States have with students than teachers in other countries have. So um, most of the time the attention is on how much they get paid mm-hmm. um, or how much vacation time they have or whatever. But but if you look at what what ha- the United States is an outlier in terms of contact hours, and I think that derives from a very limited conception of what teaching is in the U.S., which is that teaching is when teachers are with kids in a classroom setting teaching a lesson, right? In, in most other countries, teaching entails... Uh, observing other teachers teach. It entails providing detailed feedback to students on the work that they've done. Mm-hmm. It involves preparing for for the next lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are part of teaching. All those things require work outside of the teaching day for American teachers. And, and you know, people are exhausted. And when you start to pile on top of that all the paperwork requirements and the reporting requirements and all the extra things... I mean, I think teachers are incredibly hardworking, well-intentioned, and the math teachers that I've come in contact with through my professional development work, I mean, they're there doing doing a lot more than they have to do to try to get better at their craft, but but everything about the arrangement seems to fight against them, you know? And so I think there's a huge problem that we have of not supporting teachers in ways that... Um, would really enhance their work, right? So we don't have a systematic way of of providing professional development, and we have ways of of overburdening them with with things that don't contribute to high quality teaching. And then we just want to be critical of the fact that the teaching doesn't result in in better learning. And so I think we have a big problem uh, with that. I think the problem is is um, not unique to math, but because math is so heavily tested and mm-hmm. it's such a big part of the accountability system, a lot of the, the hammer falls on math teachers mm-hmm. uh, in this regard. So, so I think that's a huge issue for us. The biggest thing that, I, that comes to my mind is that 
One of the things that worries me so much, and it, it's been prompted a, lo a lot by what's happening with the Common Core, is that we don't trust teachers. And I think we could do a lot more to educate teachers so that they could assess certain qualities in their kids, in the kids that they are teaching. Uh, in other countries, teachers get, it's considered part of your job at the end of the year after you've given exams to your students to go, and these are written out exams, to go over those written exams of your students and of other people's students to try to get a better picture of what these kids know and can do mathematically. And instead, we, we have all these standardized tests, which are not necessarily good instruments for that purpose. So I'd like us to think, I'd like researchers to think about teachers as instruments for gathering data from the children that they teach all year. If you wanted to find out something about whether a kid had a productive disposition toward mathematics, the teacher who's had that kid all year potentially could offer you a better reading on that kid's disposition than any kind of paper and pencil instrument you could dream up. So I, would, mm -hmm. I think one of the areas we need to work on is not, not just developing teachers' capacity to do assessment, but also studying it. What does it take to help teachers do this? What do they need in the way of support? Because right now, we're not supporting them. And in fact, we're treating them as though they don't know how to assess. And I think that's a big mistake. The other thing, mm -hmm. more generally, is that we need to start taking a, a deeper look at teacher knowledge altogether. And uh, there's a lot of work going on on that right now, but I think we could do even more by spreading out what we mean by teacher knowledge of mathematics and of pedagogy and studying that in greater detail. And in those studies, we found this very powerful link between students giving explanations and achievement in mathematics. And the links are even if you account for prior achievement and that it's not any explanation. It's that uh, students do what Hebert and Grouse talk about as struggling with the mathematics in their handbook chapter, right? That when students work all the way through their mathematical idea in detailed ways, they have higher achievement. And it's also we're finding that when children engage with each other's ideas in a detailed way, mm -hmm. either I engage with your idea or you engage with mine, that there is a relationship to student achievement. And we all have a sense that that's true, and we have some literature to suggest that that research literature, right? We're not the only people doing this kind of work. There's lots of people who've done it. But what we've been able to show is that... If you look at a model um, that looks at teacher practice and student outcomes, that there is lots of our assessments now that are evaluating teachers based on their practice and making claims about how effective a teacher they are. Mm -hmm. And in our work, there is a relationship between teacher practice and student outcomes, but that if you put into that model student participation, if you put in there things like, students explaining their ideas, engaging with each other's ideas, that 
that mediates that relationship so that the link between teacher practice and student outcomes isn't direct when you put student participation. Mm -hmm. So as a math educator, I think people would all say, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? That Mm -hmm. teaching isn't an isolated activity. Teaching happens as you engage with students and as they engage with each other. Mm -hmm. And so how students participate in mathematics matters for achievement. But most of what gets done now ignores the student participation piece. Not in math ed, but most of what we do in evaluating teachers. Right, and just the educational, yeah. Right, ignores the student participation piece. And so Mm. what our work is starting, I hope, to say is that, yes, teaching practice is critically important, but teaching practice is mediating by how they engage students. And so as we think about making claims about how effective a teacher is in teaching mathematics, we have to be able to look at the ways in which they're engaging with students and students are engaging with each other's. And this, for me, has huge also equity and social justice ramifications because how you engage students right, is one piece of thinking about these challenges around equity. Not all of it, but one piece of it. And so if we can get move that more into the common discourse around thinking about teaching, that teaching is about participation with students mm-hmm. and context and all of those things, I think the more mm-hmm. we can challenge this traditional notion that I can measure certain things in a teacher's classroom and yeah. make big claims about how good of a math teacher they are. Yeah. If we start with the premise that that learners and students will start with talking about mathematics in everyday ways and that the role of instruction and the role of the teacher is to help them move to more formal, more mathematical ways of speaking, so how do we do that? Mm-hmm. What are the, and I'm going to use a, a, a different way to look at scaffolding, what are the micro scaffolding so in in individual conversations uh, with a teacher or with a peer what are the middle scaffolding ways that we might do this within a lesson for example how do we scaffold helping students whether they're English learners or native English speakers learning how to read word problems that's at the level of uh, a lesson and then uh, what are the macro scaffolding ways across lessons and I have to note that I borrow those three words from two people, Mary Schleppegrell, mm-hmm. uh, who may even have asked me that question. Um, <laughs> Guadalupe Valdez also asked me that question. How do we help students move from the everyday ways of talking to the more formal mathematical ways of talking? And then there's a piece by a linguist, uh, Leo Van Leer, where he actually mentions those, those three levels of mm. scaffolding. I think, you know, where we're setting right now, it's it's a very important time and a very rich time to be working in this field with the implementation of the Common Core. There are lots of questions about how teachers will will change, will adapt to the new Common Core, what changes are needed, what resources are needed to make this work, uh, whether it's the right set of standards, are there progressions built into the standards that need uh, reconsideration. Uh, So there's a lot of questions about just the Common Core and its implementation. Mm -hmm. And that's coming in at the same time that we have this whole new delivery system for uh, curriculum on the horizon. Uh, Schools are moving very rapidly, I think much more rapidly than uh, teachers and parents and maybe scholars are really thinking about it into the digital use use of digital curriculum. Mm -hmm. So this new format of curriculum materials, what affordances does that give us 
and you know what are the benefits, what are the costs, in what ways will it increase the likelihood of engagement of students with mathematics, with important mathematics contexts. Mm-hmm. I don't think we know a lot, really, about how teachers currently use print textbooks. Uh, there's a little research in that area. We know much more about how teachers use textbooks than we do how students use textbooks. Uh, right. And as it moves from a print textbook to a digital textbook, that raises a lot of questions about what students will gain from that kind of access. So it's a really interesting time, you know, both historically and just looking at the present and to the future. We have a lot of opportunities to, to study and learn and to provide better resources for students and teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, with regard to mathematics curriculum, um, one thing that we, we suggest is exploring teachers' awareness and interpretation of the new standards. A, a learning goal stated in Common Core may be interpreted differently by different teachers, and then to enact instruction to meet that standard um, is likely going to produce substantial variation in the kinds of instruction that, that teachers offer. So um, one is is simply teachers' awareness and interpretation of the standards. Um, Mm -hmm. But we also um, put in a plug for uh, whether these new standards are preparing students better for collegiate mathematics. These standards are, you know, college and career readiness standards. And clearly some research opportunities um, abound with um, the extent to which Common Core um, is preparing students for college-bearing courses. Mm-hmm. Um, you also talk about some research needs or some suggestions for research and instruction, and so I was wondering what you have in that area. Well, um, certainly the standards for mathematical practice mm-hmm. are um, an avenue for a vast amount of research in the in the coming years. So just characterizing the prevalence of the mathematical practices, um, you know, which ones are, are being used most commonly by teachers and why, um, which ones are less evident and why. Um, but also with regard to, especially to the uh, technology-enhanced assessments, mm-hmm. um, you know, in what ways do students interpret the feedback they get and in what ways do teachers process the information regarding student learning? So if these assessments deliver information in real time in an efficient manner to teachers about whether students are learning, the question is, um, and this is what we suggest for an avenue of research, um, how are teachers interpreting and processing that information and how are they using it to inform instruction? Certainly one thing that struck us uh, as we were discussing various iterations of this manuscript at the same time, we were reviewing um, the feedback we received on more than 300 proposals for the re- NCTM research precession. Mm-hmm. Of those more than 300 proposals, only a handful, um, you know, maybe five or six, focused explicitly on issues related to assessment. Mm. And of those five or six, we accepted perhaps you know three or four. So, I think. You know, given that assessment is truly going to be a hot topic for research, um, we expect the number of proposals to increase in the, in the coming years. Um, what we call for is more partnerships between mathematics education and um, related disciplines. So, for example, educational measurement, 
statistics, psychology, including developmental psychology, um, so that we're not trying to take on this ambitious research agenda as, as a field of math educators working in isolation. I think our greatest strength will be you know, taking on some of these issues with people who, who probably all already have some perspective on this, such as those um, in educational measurement. Mm-hmm. Um, as for uh, what it would take to you know, achieve the, the goals that we've laid out, my short answer would be funding. Um, <laughs> but I do think that um, in concert with my, my earlier comment, um, increasingly, the calls for um, research proposals um, are for interdisciplinary research. So, um, suggesting that we work with people outside of math education, I, I think that would be fruitful in pursuing external funding to pursue some of the research. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.